Welcome to our weekly podcast and happy Independence Day weekend. Today we're going to begin a new series called Summer in the Psalms. Over the next four weeks, we're going to spend some intentional time as a church family in the book of Psalms. If you look at your bulletin, and you're listening online, so you might have to access this on our website, but you'll notice that I've included a devotional reading guide that you can read through over the next four weeks. If you read one psalm each day, you'll have read through the second book of Psalms by the time we finish our series. I'm going to talk more about why the psalms are organized into five different books later on in the message. Before we jump into today's psalm, I'd like to spend some time learning about the book of Psalms as a whole. Think about this as the context before we jump straight to the content. Author Warren Wearsby has a great commentary that covers the entire book of Psalms. And in his introduction to this commentary, he says this, The book of Psalms has been, and still is, the irreplaceable devotional guide, prayer book, and hymnal of the people of God. I think this is a fantastic sentence that really sums up how we should approach the Psalms. You know, we don't study the Psalms in the same way that we might study other books in the Bible. Say, Paul's letters to the various churches, uh, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or books of history in the Old Testament. The Psalms are meant to be read devotionally. They're meant to be prayed during difficult seasons, as well as seasons of prosperity. And they're meant to be sung by the church as we worship God for who he is. The Hebrew title for the book of Psalms is the word Tehillim. This word means the book of praises. The Greek translation uses the word psalmos, which means a song sung to the accompaniment of a stringed instrument. For generations, the psalms have been used as a songbook for the people of God as we learn to praise and worship God together. Today, we call this collection of songs, poems, and prayers the psalms, or the psalter. As a devotional book, The Psalms are a guide. They help us connect with our Heavenly Father. They help shape how we relate to God. They help us learn what it looks like to live the kind of life that glorifies God. As a book of prayers, the Psalms give us a front row seat to the raw emotion expressed by people who cried out to God during extremely difficult seasons. As a book of songs or praises, the Psalms help us worship God for who He is, by teaching us more about his character and nature, and who we're created to be as God's most prized creation. In the early church, the Psalms were also used to aid in the preaching and teaching of the gospel. They were read aloud to offer encouragement in the midst of difficult seasons, and they were a regular part of the church's worship. You know, today, they're still an important part of our worship. Just about every week, we sing songs that come directly from the Psalms. A couple of fun facts about the book of Psalms. It's actually the longest book in terms of chapters, not content, but chapters that we have in all of the Bible. There are 150 chapters in the book of Psalms. As the book with the most chapters, Psalms also contains the longest chapter. The longest chapter in the Bible is Psalm 19. There are 176 verses. Psalms also contains the shortest chapter, which is Psalm 17. There are only two verses. And the very middle chapter in the Bible is Psalm 118. So you have Psalm 119, which is the longest chapter, Psalm 117, which is the shortest, and the very middle chapter in the Bible is Psalm 118. 
The book of Psalms is the Old Testament book that is most often quoted in the New Testament. There are over 400 direct quotations or indirect allusions made to the Psalms in the New Testament. Jesus often quoted the Psalms. In fact, he quoted the Psalms more than any other Old Testament book. I've heard it put this way, that if the Psalms were important to Jesus, and they were, then they should be important in our lives as well. No other Old Testament book teaches us more about God all at once than the Psalms. All five of the major attributes of God are found in the Psalms. So there we learn that God is all-powerful, that he's all-knowing, that he is everywhere present. We learn that God is eternal in his existence, and that he is unchangeable in his character. We find all of this in the book of Psalms. For generations, God has used the Psalms to speak directly to his people, showing us that we can encounter God in every circumstance in life. It's been said that every situation in life is represented in the Psalms. So how are we supposed to cover the Psalms in a meaningful way if we're only going to be in this series for four weeks this summer? Well, there are four basic ways or methods that you can use to read through and study the Psalms. We've talked about this in the past, but I'll do a short recap. First, you have the book method. There are five books or five divisions in the book of Psalms. If you open your Bible to Psalm chapter 1, you'll see exactly what I mean. Most translations will say, book 1, Psalms 1 through 41. And as you read or turn through the rest of the Psalms, you'll find all five books. So why are the Psalms divided into five different books? Well, it's believed that the Jewish rabbis organized the Psalms into five books so that they would reflect the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. So book 1, Psalms 1 through 41, reflects the book of Genesis. And the key word here is the word man. So we see a lot about God's relationship to man. Book 2, which is Psalms 42 through 72, reflects Exodus. And the key word here is deliverance. Book 3, which is Psalms 73 through 89, reflects Leviticus. And the key word there is sanctuary. It has a lot to do with worship. Book 4 is Psalms 90 through 106. This reflects numbers. The key word is wandering. God's people wandering in their faith. Book 5 is Psalms 107 through 150. And this reflects Deuteronomy. And the key word here is the word of God. So each book within the Psalms contains key words and key themes that we find in the book. They each reflect in the Torah. So that would be the book method. The next three methods I'll go through pretty quickly. Second, you have the authorship method. There are a number of authors throughout the book of Psalms, with King David being the most prominent. David wrote almost half of the Psalms. He wrote 73 of them. Then you have Asaph, who wrote 12. The sons of Korah, who were musicians, they wrote 11. Haman and Ethan, who wrote 2. King Solomon wrote 2. Moses wrote 1. And the remaining 49 are anonymous. So you could study the Psalms by using the authorship method. Then you have the subject matter method. There are a long list of subjects and themes that are covered throughout the Psalms. There are Psalms of distress, Psalms of judgment, Psalms of prayer and praise, Psalms about people who were blessed by God, and then Psalms about those who were not blessed by God, the wicked. There are Psalms that teach us about the attributes of God. There are Messianic Psalms that point us to Jesus in the New Testament, and there are devotional Psalms. So that's the subject matter method. And then finally, you have the style method. Some of your translations will tell you what style a particular psalm was written in. 
uh, using a Hebrew word to define whatever style it is. Now, I'm going to be honest. I can't pronounce most of these Hebrew words, and I don't expect you to be able to either. For this series, my plan is to preach through the Psalms using the first method, the book method. I've chosen four Psalms from the second book that we're going to cover in greater detail. Now, to make sure that you're able to spend time in all 30 Psalms that are found in book two, you'll need to follow along in your devotional reading guide. Again, if you read one Psalm each day, you'll get through all 30 Psalms by the time we finish our series. All right, well, as I transition from teacher to preacher today, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. Now, these two Psalms are meant to be read together, and that's exactly what we're going to do. So we'll begin in Psalm 42, and this is what we read. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? Day and night, I have only tears for food, while my enemies continually taunt me, saying, where is this God of yours? My heart is breaking. As I remember how it used to be, I walked among the crowds of worshipers, leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of a great celebration. Why am I so discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Now I'm deeply discouraged, but I will remember you, even from distant Mount Hermon, the source of the Jordan, from the land of Mount Mizar. I hear the tumult of the raging seas, and your waves and surging tides sweep over me. But each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me, and through each night I sing his songs, praying to God who gives me life. O oh God, my rock, I cry, why have you forgotten me? Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? Their taunts break my bones. They scoff, where is this God of yours? Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. And then we'll transition to Psalm 43. You'll see how these two connect. They were meant to be read as one psalm. Declare me innocent, O God. Defend me against these ungodly people. Rescue me from these unjust liars. For you are God, my only safe haven. Why have you tossed me aside? Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? Send out your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them lead me to your holy mountain, to the place where you live. There I will go to the altar of God, to God, the source of my joy. I will praise you with my harp, O God. My God, why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. What did we just read? And what are these two Psalms all about? Again, these two Psalms are actually one Psalm in most Hebrew manuscripts. And it's easy to see how they belong together when you read straight through them like we just did. Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 were both written by the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah were temple musicians and assistants by trade. Uh, Korah was the grandson of Kohath, and he was killed for rebelling against God. You can read about this in the book of Numbers, chapter 16. His sons, the sons of Korah, became worship leaders in the sanctuary. They were temple musicians. They decided to, to follow God and be devoted to God. So the author, or the authors of this psalm, 
They'd been exiled away from Jerusalem and were living in a foreign land among Gentiles, people who worship false gods. These people actually oppressed them. They experienced verbal persecution. Multiple times throughout the psalm, the author wrote about being mocked by others. These Gentiles would taunt them by saying, where is your God? So they were questioning their faith because the God of the Bible is not a statue. He's not a physical item that you can touch or even see. Following God requires faith. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 gives us a definition of faith. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. The author was a worship leader who was used to leading groups of people to Jerusalem at least three times a year for major festivals, with Passover being the major festival. But at this point in time, he wasn't able to do so. And this really hurt his heart because he longed to be in the presence of God. He longed to worship with God's people. He felt like God had forgotten about him somehow. These Psalms highlight what it looks like to genuinely thirst for God's presence in your life. They act as an illustration of God's answer for the thirsty soul. You know, what we should do and who we should focus on when we feel lonely, discouraged, or depressed. The psalmist is clearly hurting. He's fluctuating between seasons of faith, desperation, and despair. We see him passing through three stages or taking three important steps that ultimately led him to a place of hope and peace in his life. That's what we're going to talk about today. We'll call these stages steps that lead to a satisfied life. You know, there's some great truths in these two psalms that you can apply to your life, especially during those seasons when you feel far from God. Let's take a closer look at each of these three stages. These are steps that lead to a satisfied life. Number one, if you're taking notes, we see the psalmist longing for God's presence. We see this first step in the first five verses. The author begins the psalm with two well-known verses. And we actually sing these words in the hymn, As the Deer. We're going to sing this on Sunday. Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2 says, As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for you, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? So we're given an illustration, a word picture of a deer panting and struggling to reach water in order to quench its thirst. I think we all know what it feels like to be physically thirsty. Uh, Three of our boys, you know, my wife and I have four sons. Three of them signed up for track this summer through the Holman Track and Field Program, and they're absolutely loving it. But you know what they do right after they practice? They're really tired. They're they're sweaty. They kind of stink a little bit. Well, they run as fast as they can over to their water bottles in order to take a drink and quench their thirst. You see, without water, they could eventually become dehydrated. They wouldn't have enough energy to keep going. So the illustration of a deer panting and struggling to reach water in order to quench its thirst is something that we all understand. And it reminded the author about his own thirst for God. He longed to go back to Jerusalem where he could worship God in the temple and be surrounded by other believers. He knew that God is the true source of life and that he couldn't live without him. Hunger and thirst, these are common images throughout the Bible for when a person desires to know God, to live for God and to experience a full and meaningful life in Christ. Without physical water and food, life isn't possible. Without God, true life, the kind of full life that Jesus talked about, isn't possible either. This person was hurting because he felt separated from God. 
He'd experienced verbal persecution from the people around him because of his faith. This caused him to question God's presence in his life. He longed to feel near to God again. Fluctuating between faith, desperation, and despair, he felt like his hopes of returning to Jerusalem had been completely shattered. He felt like his prayers were going unanswered. And his enemies, their voices were the loudest voices in the room. His emotions were more than he could handle. But even in the midst of all of these things, he knew that God was still on the throne. And because of this truth, he decided to take the first step in the right direction. He cried out to God. He he longed for God's presence in his life. That was the first step. Step number two, we see the psalmist remembering God's promises. We read about this step in verses 6 through 11. This section begins with these words. He wrote, Now I'm deeply discouraged, but I will remember you. I underline that word, remember. He said, even from distant Mount Hermon, the source of the Jordan, from the land of Mount Mizar, I hear the tumult of the raging seas as your waves and surging tides sweep over me. Commenting on this section of scripture, Warren Wearsby wrote, the emotional and spiritual landscape changes from drought to storm, with the writer feeling like he was drowning in sorrow and pain. So to put it another way, the psalmist felt very small in the midst of a giant storm. I'm curious, have you ever felt that way? Maybe the storms of life are just too much to handle. The kids are in rare form this week. You know, they're not listening to instruction. Discipline isn't working. They're not getting along with their siblings. Maybe work is stealing your joy instead of adding fulfillment. Your marriage is on the rocks. Maybe you're struggling to make ends meet financially. The psalmist's experience was not that different from what we experience today. If I had to guess, I bet you've experienced what it feels like to be on a tiny life raft in the midst of a major life storm at some point. The lesson that we can learn from these verses really is one of perspective. The psalmist's difficult circumstances, they were real. The waves were real. But at the end of the day, he didn't have to fear These things didn't have to determine his joy because his joy was rooted in the Lord. Once again, he was able to say, I will put my hope in God. He was able to put his hope in God because he knew that God always keeps his word. God always keeps his promises. Because God had promised to lead his people, to provide for his people, and because he'd already proven himself time and time again in the past, He could live faithfully in the midst of the storm while simultaneously knowing that the storm would not last forever. Friends, God wants to use psalms like these to remind us about how he is still on the throne. Psalms like these give us a song that we can sing in the midst of the storm while we wait for the dawning of a new day. In fact, we read about this in verse 8. He wrote, but each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me. And through each night, listen to this, I sing his songs. That's the song that he was able to sing. He said, praying to God who gives me life. Something interesting happens in this verse. Instead of using the name El or Elohim for God, a name that he'd used about 20 times throughout the psalm, he decided to use the name Jehovah. He said, but each day Jehovah, the Lord, pours his unfailing love upon me. So Jehovah is the name of God that describes him as the God of covenant or the God of promises and the God who cares for his people. It's a very personal name. 
He's the God who showers his people with loving kindness, who gives them promises they can claim when they pray and when they read the word, and who hears them when they praise and worship him. One author put it this way. He wrote, the psalmist didn't have to go to Jerusalem to worship. He could worship God right where he was at. See, God was with him during all hours of the day. He was with him in the heat of the day and in the cool of the night. He was with him in the midst of the storm. Even though his circumstances in life had changed and were changing, he didn't know what lied ahead, but he could remember God's promises, that God was his rock, that God is stable, strong, and unchanging. Remembering God's promises was a crucial step that ultimately led to a satisfied life. And it's a crucial step that we need to continually take in our lives today. We need to remember the promises of God that are found in the word of God. Number three, we see the psalmist trusting God's provision. That's the third step, trusting God's provision. And we read about this third step in Psalm 43. Now remember, these two psalms are connected. They're meant to be one psalm. Verses three and four provide the focus of this third step, trusting God's provision. He wrote, send out your light and your truth. Let them guide me. That's God's provision. Let them lead me to your holy mountain, to the place where you live. There I will go to the altar of God, to God, the source of all my joy. So where does our joy come from? Our joy comes from God. And he says, I will praise you with my harp, O God, my God. The landscape changes for a third time in this section of Scripture. The psalmist began by describing his thirst for God, you know, longing for God's presence. And he did this with the illustration of a deer longing for streams of water. He then focused on the promises of God or the faithfulness of God. And he did this by using the illustration of a raging sea that represents the storms of life, and that God is with us in the midst of the storm. Finally, he turned his attention to the provision of God. This is how God provides for us. And he does so by using the illustration of God's light and truth. That's what guides our lives. He prayed that God would send out his light and his truth, which would lead him safely back home, back to Jerusalem. God had led his people out of slavery in Egypt to the promised land. And he did this by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. God's people had to fully rely on his leading and provision in their lives during that time. And this is what the psalmist had to rely on as well. It was all about trusting God's provision. I have a question for you today. Who or what do you turn to when you experience the storms of life? There are a lot of things that promise satisfaction in this life. Other people, addictions, material possessions. But all of these things ultimately fall short in providing for our needs and satisfying the thirsty soul. This psalm reminds us that when God's people experience the storms of life, his goodness and mercy follow them and his light and truth lead them. Trusting God's provision means that you stop trying to dictate the course and direction of your life on your own, but instead that you submit to God's leading by following his light and his truth. And for us, this is God's word. That's our ultimate source of authority. It's the ultimate source of truth for the life of the believer. There was a major change in this person's life between Psalm 42 and 43, where the first 11 verses highlight a lot of struggle, worry, and fear. The last five verses remind us about where our true source of joy comes from 
and where our hope is ultimately found. God is our only source of true joy. Our hope is found in him. Our hope is found in Jesus. The psalmist shifted his focus from his circumstances, you know, his disappointments and struggles. He decided to put his focus on God. The way he chose to end the psalm shows us how faith in God really changes everything. Psalm 43, verse 5. Why am I so discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. This verse reads differently in the Hebrew than verses 5 and 11, where he previously said that he would put his hope in God. Remember, he said that two other times. Although he would continue to experience trials and troubles in his life, the decision to trust God's provision and to put his hope in God was now a part of his life song. This is what he was going to be about. He knew that God loved him, that God would guide him, and that God would provide for him. He knew that although weeping often lasts through the night, joy comes with the morning. What does all of this mean for our lives today? To put it simply, it's a call to put our hope in God. God's answer for the thirsty soul is not to look in at our own grief. It's not to look back at our past mistakes or our past circumstances or to soak in our circumstances today. Instead, it's a challenge to look away from these things and to look up to a faithful God. We're challenged to long for God's presence, knowing that we can experience his presence and worship him wherever we go. We don't have to just come to church on Sunday morning to do that. It's important that we gather. It's important that we worship together. We should long for that and crave that in our lives. But we can worship God wherever we're at throughout the day. We can pray anytime. We're challenged to remember God's promises. God's promises are what help keep us grounded in the truth of who he is and what he's done in our lives, what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. And we're challenged to trust God's provision. We serve a God who will provide for our needs. And his goodness, his mercy follow us all the days of our lives. Today, we can be encouraged with the truth that Jesus is our hope. He alone is the answer for the thirsty soul. When you're in the midst of one of life's storms, when you feel far from God, long for his presence. You know, draw near to him through his word, through worship, and through prayer. Remember his promises that we read about in his word. And trust his provision. He promises to provide for you.